everyone, it's Pool House. Welcome back to Backlash, the unsilencing. I'm calling this uh, a wiki-sode. I had this idea to do some short episodes that are centered around a topic related to this idea of HIV lab origin. The Unsilencing is my series that is intended to bring forward lost voices uh, of the kind of HIV, HIV AIDS uh, crisis and era, specifically the voices that support an alternative timeline, an alternative narrative to that crisis that go beyond what you've uh, typically heard, even in alternative conspiracy th- circles. I really appreciate the support we got for the first episode with Ed's story, our first eyewitness. I promise there is another eyewitness uh, interview coming soon. But in the meantime, I thought I would try one of these out. It's a it's a wikisode. Wikisode number one. And this one's going to be on the Strecker Memorandum. It's actually probably more appropriate to say it's on the Strecker group, but Strecker Memorandum just sounds, <laughs> I don't know, a little bit splashier. Uh, I think this is a really good one to start with because first of all, the Strecker Memorandum's not really widely known. It's pretty highly suppressed uh, and, and censored. Even in the alternative conspiracy circles, you don't hear much about the Strecker group or the Strecker Memorandum. I had been looking into kind of the HIV lab origin uh, for probably a year and a half pretty closely. I've been following the work of people like Nick, Nick Potosky, uh, my collaborator in this project, and the HIV lab origin researcher who you heard in episode 36 of Here Comes the Backlash. Go check that one out. And also the first episode in this unsilencing series, of course. Uh, the story of the Strecker Memorandum is really pretty mind-blowing. Uh, in addition to not really being well-known, the Strecker Group and the Strecker Memorandum, just talking about them, it's going to require us to create a thumbnail sketch of the HIV lab origin theory. The Strecker Group were pioneers in the, this line of thinking, really. They are the originators. They did the first research in this direction. So this is the inspiring, illuminating and ultimately tragic story of the Strecker Group and their fascinating and extremely controversial collection of documents that's often referred to collectively as the Strecker Memorandum. AIDS, the most devastating biological catastrophe the world has ever known. This disease will kill more people this year than all other viral diseases combined. According to Dr. Robert Strecker, AIDS is a man-made, genetically engineered virus that was either accidentally or deliberately introduced into the world's population. AIDS is not a homosexual disease. AIDS is not a venereal disease. AIDS did not originate from the green monkey. AIDS is not prevented by the use of condoms. And AIDS is not likely to ever be cured by a vaccine. So the story starts in 1983 with Dr. Robert B. Strecker. He's an MD. He practices internal medicine and gastroenterology in LA. I think he's based out of Glendale. That's where he signs his document from. 
he's a trained pathologist. He also has a PhD in pharmacology. So he's a pretty smart guy. His brother is Ted or Theodore Strecker, who's an attorney. Um, so Dr. Strecker and his brother, Ted, uh, are working together on a proposal uh, to look into the long-term financial effects of covering patients who have AIDS. They begin to uncover a lot of information that is, quite frankly, very staggering and changes the trajectory of their lives. They begin to look into the scientific literature, piece together a very dark trail of facts that paints a very different picture of the HIV crisis than the one that's being told in the media at the time. So they go on this five-year journey, a five-year quest. It changes their lives forever. It leads to tragedy in one of their lives. And this five-year period culminates with the creation of a set of documents that may be commonly called the Strecker Memorandum. The first is a 1986 document called This is a Bioattack Alert published on March 28th, 1986. It's uh, sometimes called the Strecker Memorandum as well. I've seen it labeled that. Again, there's not a lot of information about the Strecker group online. It's hard to find histories of this. And sometimes people will easily mistake the title or uh, nomenclature of some of these documents. I think it's fair to call all of these things the Strecker Memorandum, but the actual Strecker Memorandum is the 1988 video that the Strecker Group produces. And the Strecker Group is uh, the name for the organization or action committee that the brothers formed to get this information out to FBI. Uh, so the Strecker Group produced these documents and video in the late 80s, a memo called this is a bioattack alert, which was, by the way, mailed to the president of the United States, the vice president, governors of several states, uh, various federal government agencies like the Department of Defense, the CIA, the NSA, the Department of Agriculture. Very important for this bioweapons research, we'll later learn. The video in particular is really striking and engaging. The quality is very 1980s cable access, but it is very interesting to watch. Dr. Strecker himself reminds me a little bit of Dan Connor from Roseanne. He's a broad-shouldered, bigger guy with a Midwestern accent who comes across as really trustworthy and engaging. He's a really interesting person. He's an effective communicator, so he's able to take these complicated political and biological analyses and translate them into speech that can be understood by lay people like you and me. So I've decided it's time that someone tells you the truth about AIDS. So in this program, I will show you how the AIDS virus was actually predicted, requested, produced, deployed, and now threatens the very existence of mankind because it works. To understand why I believe that the AIDS virus came out of a laboratory rather than out of the jungles of Africa, you have to understand several important concepts which I will address in the next few minutes. These concepts actually include an understanding of, of viruses, bacteria, human cell lines, tissue culture, and manipulation of all of those things in the laboratory. So what are viruses? Some people say that viruses are the smallest replicating microorganisms. Some people say that viruses are bad news in a sugar coat. Actually, in the case of a retrovirus, the AIDS virus, which is R-E-T-R-O, retrovirus, what does this mean? The Strecker Group theory is pretty straightforward. HIV or AIDS is a bioweapon, part of a biological warfare attack on the United States of America that is being perpetrated by some shadowy cabal of global communists. 
Per Strecker, AIDS was, quote, predicted, requested, created, and deployed by the World Health Organization. Strecker alleges that it is not really a homosexual virus, but in fact, the homosexual populations which first developed AIDS did so because they were the recipients of an experimental hepatitis B vaccine study known as Heptavax, a serum that was produced by Merck in the U.S. The centers where the vaccine was distributed and trialed perfectly mirror the outbreak in the United States of HIV in the late 70s. Now, all of this seems to be documented through scientific literature and memorandum from the World Health Organization, the National Institutes of Health, the National Cancer Institute, as well as the International Agency for Research on Cancer. Dr. Strecker finds that about $10 billion was appropriated to the Department of Defense in 1971 as a part of the National Cancer Attack Act. Now, in 1971, President Nixon launched his war on cancer, which was a part of his bid for re-election. It tells us why I sent a message to the Congress the first of this year, which provided for a national commitment to, for the conquest of cancer, to attempt to find a cure. And now with the cooperation of the Congress, with the cooperation of many of the people in this room, we have set up a procedure for the purpose of making a total national commitment. I'm not going to go into the details of that procedure except to say this. As a result of what has been done, as a result of the action which will come into being as a result of signing this bill, the Congress is totally committed to provide the funds that are necessary, whatever is necessary, for the conquest of cancer. All of the agencies of government the National Institute of Health, HEW, etc., are totally committed. It seems, however, that the war on cancer was itself simply a cover for biodefense research. At this time, the World Health Organization in these documents call for the cultivation, the cataloging, and the study of what are known as retroviruses, viruses which cause cancer. There's different types of retroviruses, including HTLV, which causes a type of leukemia, uh, murine or, or mice leukemia, lentiviruses, which are also known as slow viruses. And really, instead of curing cancer, it seems that this research was being done to create the deadliest viruses possible, viruses which could selectively target immune system receptors, viruses that had extended latency, meaning they would develop slowly into disease over time. And all of this is really called for in these memoranda from the World Health Organization. Why would this be a part? Of, why would cancer viruses be a part of biodefense research? Well, the idea is that these viruses could be turned into weapons that are deployed on populations. There's also the need to create vaccines for these types of diseases because enemies of the West may also be creating these viruses to use as weapons. There's also a need to create vaccines that would be deployed in the event of an attack. Now, Dr. Strecker is a really smart guy. He again, has a PhD in pharmacology, and he begins to really dive into how these techniques work in terms of virology and creating these types of viruses. Strecker's theory is that the HIV virus was created through some combination of techniques, either recombinant technology, which is like genetic engineering or a pre-runner to gain a function, actually you know, constructing viruses in the lab, but also through just 
processes of using animal tissues as essentially hosts for the cultivation of uh, viruses, using animals or nature as your as your weird, freaky genetic lab. His personal theory is that the progenitor of the HIV virus is HTLV, a bovine or cow leukemia, plus Visna. Dr. Strucker has this uh, evidence of the intent to research or look into these kind of AIDS-like viruses and writes in 1986's bulletin, quote, thus AIDS today is the disease, the possibility of which was to be looked into in 1972, because in AIDS, the immune response to the virus is impaired when a portion of the cells responding to the viral antigens are infected cells which are killed by the viral antigen. All caps. Let there be no question that infection was intended because a part of the study was to be the time relationship between infection and antigen administration, unquote. Or in other words, the way that AIDS is behaving in the human body is intentional because that is exactly the type of relationship that is being outlined in these memoranda from the World Health Organization. He then goes on, quote, how is the study to be conducted in humans? For it is clear that the World Health Organization and NIH decided in 1970 to inject known virus and bacteria into children of the same parents during allegedly preventative vaccinations to study HLA type. Then in 1972, who, the WHO Bulletin changed the study to a study of a virus which causes a depression in immune function. I repeat, let there be no question that infection was intended because a part of the study was to be the time relationship between infection and antigen administration. Unquote. He's really hung up on this. Uh, he explains it in greater detail in the memoranda video, but it is this relationship between when the virus enters the body and when it finally takes hold and begins to develop disease, otherwise known as latency. Uh, he is quite hung up on it because it is in direct parallel with the memoranda from the World Health Organization. So just to pause and reiterate what this plan is what this product what this operation is is that the world health organization uh, called for research into cancer-like viruses these viruses are like animal leukemias and other types of viruses particles that uh, are known to cause severe disease this uh, research is done through bioweapons research under the cover of cancer research. It is <clears throat> done essentially by uh, cultivating viruses in animal tissues, extracting those through syringes, through the blood, through pus, etc., injecting those into like cows, for example, bovine, both um, something like called Visna, like a sheep virus, which uh, you can learn more about in episode 36 with Nick, um, and like a bovine leukemia. It seems that the cow is a really a good host. Its tissues will essentially act as a vector for the kind of mutation. They can extract that and then repeat the process, right? They can continue to develop and iterate on their virus that they are creating. So and there after a certain point though, you want to now test these antigens, these viruses you've created that you're specifically creating for purposes of investigating the latency or the period of time between the virus first arriving in the cells and the onset of infection or disease. In order to conduct that human experiment, it has to be done on a human control group. And according to the Strecker Memorandum and now other researchers, this was conducted in two primary ways that they identify. The NIH hepatitis B vaccine 
trial, which was conducted in the 1970s. It's a vaccine produced by Merck. There was a specific homosexual serum that was developed, and there was a heterosexual serum. And the homosexual serum was given in these specific cities to homosexual populations. Those include New York City, San Francisco, Los Angeles, as well as Chicago and St. Louis. Dr. Strecker contends that this was a cover for this research, that this was essentially a experiment that was conducted. The uh, vaccine trials in Africa for things like smallpox, those are given to kids. They had said in this research that they need to uh, find sibships, aka brothers and sisters. They went to the best place to get brothers and sisters, kids, Africa. Is it a mere coincidence that we now have a pandemic of a T-cell destroying virus, which was in a sense predicted and here requested growing in Africa and the United States. Now, this question was addressed partially in an article written Monday, May 11th, 1987. And in that article, in the front page of the London Times, which addressed the question of, was there an association between the WHO vaccine programs in Africa and the outbreak of AIDS? Their conclusion was the following, that there was an association. Well, the story goes like this. Supposedly somebody had been hired by the WHO to investigate whether or not the WHO vaccine programs in Africa, the WHO meaning the World Health Organization, which were the WHO vaccine programs which were responsible for eradication of smallpox in Africa may have been a contributing factor to the spread of AIDS in Africa. Evidently, a researcher who has remained anonymous is afraid to reveal his name, was hired by the World Health Organization to investigate that study. He did a study over a year or two. He wrote a report. He submitted it to the World Health Organization. The WHO was paid and that was the end of it. A year or so later, he walks in to the London Times and throws the report on Pierce Wright's desk, who is the science writer at the London Times, and said, if you really wanna know what's going on with AIDS in Africa, here's the answer. That article was the impetus for the printing of this story, which said there's a correspondence between the WHO's program in Africa and the outbreak of AIDS. As far as we know, this has never been discussed or addressed in this country. And I find that particularly interesting as to why it's never been addressed in the United States for the following reason. A quote in that, in that article on Monday, May 11th was from Dr. Robert Gallo, who is the reported co-discoverer of the AIDS virus, who said that this was an interesting and important hypothesis. There are things in the Strecker Memorandum that I do question. I'm certainly not suggesting that anyone should just accept the contents of the document or documents uh, wholesale. Um, for example, Strecker does predict that disease is going to lead to widespread death, uh, including in heterosexual populations. By the year 2000, that clearly didn't come to pass. Um, he has other controversial views, such as that the virus concentrates in all bodily fluids and can be transmitted through saliva. Um, he also says that the virus is actually small enough to pass through holes that exist in the condom's latex. 
I don't know enough to comment or speculate on all of that. I'm sure there are things that are incorrect about Dr. Strecker's analysis. However, I think the basic framework makes a lot of sense and needs further investigation. The idea that there was, you know, a program to study these viruses that would cause such outcomes is very well documented now. It is hidden, again, behind technical language, but it is all there. And so the fact that he puts this report out and it is completely sidelined and censored indicates that there is ample things to investigate here. I have seen some pushback to the Strecker memorandum, not as much as you think, because when you Google it, you just find very little information. There was a debunker um, saying that this was an anti-Semitic conspiracy. Uh, he does mention a, a Jewish scientist at one point. I don't think he mentions that the, that the scientist is Jewish. I think he says he's Polish or Russian educated. And he, I don't think says the word Jew. I, I could be incorrect, but it certainly uh, does not factor into his analysis. It's nowhere in the papered or published reports. And so I feel like it's a very far-fetched. It seems like a smear, right, to call him anti-Semitic because of this reason. Drucker does um, allude to a scientist uh, named Royal Rife and research and around the idea that sound waves and the properties of sound could actually impact our change viruses, defeat viruses, because viruses are crystalline in their structure and that sound waves can impact crystals in such a similar way. That is, again, science I'm not going to weigh in on as a layperson per se, other than to say I've seen evidence to suggest that sound certainly has incredible properties. Uh, things like semantics are very fascinating to investigate. There is, of course, healing properties to sound. I think we all know that on an intuitive level. Uh, but I did see a pushback from a debunker calling him uh, a nutty for his theories about that, which, again, he doesn't push the theories. He alludes to some research being done uh, at the time in the 80s, building on the Royal Rife uh, kind of theories or, or previous work. Any type of research into such alternative technologies for healing that are met with immediate dismissal uh, and, and allegations of quackery are worth looking into again because they indicate that there is something that is being concealed there or immediately being pushed back on with propaganda. There's a lot of pushback to any type of alternative healing technologies, uh, thanks to the institution of Rockefeller medicine and globalized uh, world health in the 20th century. The bioattack alert document, it's something of a manifesto. It contains a step-by-step plan for essentially taking back control of the government from these AIDS conspirators. They issue a declaration for the you know president to comment by a certain date, lest he be taken over by military junta. Uh, this is really in, in the document. Um, in the video, he does not come across as hyperbolic or crazy. The document is certainly a lot more. He's very plain spoken. And as I said before, really relatable Midwestern wholesome vibes in the video appearance, uh, which also features a Q&A section at the end um, with unclear who those people are. I don't know if they're actors. Uh, at least a couple of them seem to be maybe members of the Strecker group or, or associates. If you watch anything from the video, I recommend the final 30 minutes or so, the Q&A section with four guest panelists. That is a really uh, insightful section and really demonstrates Dr. Strucker's skills as a communicator. Again, Dr. Strucker's view that this is a communist plot it sounds 
confusing probably to some, but I think on a certain spiritual level, he is correct. Uh, maybe politically, it's difficult to argue that this is truly a Soviet plot. I should note there's ample evidence that the Soviet and Western allies were collaborating on these projects, which has its own strange implications. But the general nature that the idea that there is some kind of attack on America, some sort of undermining of our national capabilities, some in service of some sort of global government agenda doesn't sound as perhaps far-fetched as it did to audiences in the 80s who mostly didn't hear about the Strecker Memorandum and probably didn't give it much credit or credence if they did. The Strecker's report, they were censored even further that stations wouldn't air their material. The interviews were recorded with national uh, outlets that were never aired or, or published. They didn't get responses from the government actors who they sent their memorandum to. August 11th, 1988, Ted Strecker was found shot to death in his home in Springfield, Missouri. His death was ruled a suicide. Dr. Robert Strecker, his, his brother, is very adamant that the death was not a suicide, that he spoke to his brother the night before and that he was in good spirits. However, the and his brother also didn't leave behind any sort of suicide note or messages to the family or anyone else. Another death that should be noted is Illinois State Representative Douglas Huff of Chicago. He was found dead September 22nd, 1988, uh, apparently from an overdose of cocaine and heroin. Douglas Huff was uh, an advocate of the Strucker Group's content. He had held a press conference in June of 1988 where he discussed the Strucker Group's thesis about the World Health Organization's plot to advance an AIDS-like virus. It's hard to find information about Douglas Huff, but in an interesting article that appeared December 22nd, 1988, in the Chicago Tribune. In a column about the AIDS crisis, there's a note towards the bottom on Representative Huff. I want to read it because I think it's important. The title is Douglas Huff, Hysterical Legislator of the Year. In case you missed it, and most people did, we'd like to share with you a classic act of irresponsibility in the face of adversity. On July 11th, while under indictment for income tax evasion, the late state representative Doug Huff held a news conference to alert reporters to heretofore ignored documents proving in an international conspiracy that created and then propagated the AIDS virus. Citing a number of books and articles published in 142 countries, Huff implicated the National Cancer Institute, the World Health Organization, and the governments of the United States, South Africa, and Israel. He went on to say that the World Health Organization introduced AIDS to Africa to test levels of immunity. Now, he said AIDS is being used as an ethnic weapon designed to attack the DNA structure of non-white people by agents of the Israeli and South African governments, unquote. This was a pretty surprising 
thing to read. I was a little confused why the Chicago Tribune was even calling attention to Huff's allegations, especially as they are careful to note how silly and unworthy of reporting they truly are. I think the reason why they are bringing attention to this uh, comes in these final paragraphs. Quote, Huff's charges were nothing new to people familiar with AIDS hysteria, and the few reporters who covered the press conference had the good sense to ignore them. It was the timing of his rant that we found particularly disturbing. Huff spewed forth just as the city's blacks and Jews were beginning to forget the wounds inflicted by Steve Coakley. Note, Steve Coakley was an assistant to the mayor of Chicago in 1987, who made similar allegations about HIV being a bioweapon that also included allegations of Israeli involvement. This caused some controversy, and here the Tribune and the Chicago Tribune is attempting to connect what Huff is saying to this earlier political controversy by a, another actor. It concludes, quote, Chicagoans have never demanded much intellect from their politicians, and Doug Huff certainly didn't let us down in that regard. But we do expect them to have enough grace to go down quietly without throwing irresponsible punches. Doug Huff died from a stroke on September 23rd, two weeks after receiving a four-year prison sentence for tax evasion. We can only assume he hasn't been admitted to that great public health organization in the sky, unquote. So here, the Chicago Tribune is using the death of this politician essentially to chide him, to belittle him. They're making fun of his beliefs and kind of rejoicing, I think, a little bit in his death. It's very strange. I think it's off-putting to say the least, but I think it's a good example of the way that the media portrays anyone who goes against the official narrative that's crafted by Gallo, IH, etc., now, Dr. Robert Strecker did live much longer than his brother. He passed away in 2018 of an automobile accident. I don't have many details on that. I will note a lot of former critics of the AIDS regime did die in the lead up to COVID-19. Make of that what you will. The Strecker Group were really among the first to collate these 1970s documents from the World Health Organization, NIH, etc., and identified this work that had been done in the 1970s as a part of this thesis they were developing. There were a few other researchers at the time uh, making similar strides, but the Strecker Group were really the first to disseminate this in a way that could be made accessible to the general public. The Strecker Memorandum video perhaps didn't have the intended impact the Streckers had been hoping for in 1988 when it was released. However, a 1991 Baltimore Sun article about the dangers of AIDS misinformation highlights the Strecker Group as a source of common misconceptions about the AIDS crisis. The Strecker Group is mentioned, as is their video, as not having been as commercially successful as the Strecker Group had hoped. But the article also mentions a large volume of correspondence that the Streckers had generated at both the paper and at the CDC. In this November 7th, 1991 article on misinformation, the authors write, a copy of the memorandum summary was obtained from the CDC. We get this stuff all the time, says Brenda Garza, a writer and editor at CDC. We got lots of letters from people with all kinds of ideas about how AIDS started. The volume of mail provoked by Strecker and others led CDC to draft a form letter response to disputing each allegation. Quote, 
HIV is not a man-made virus, and it did not originate in laboratories in this country or others, one CDC, one CDC letter states. It has never been introduced into selected populations as a part of a secret experiment or for any other reason. It is a human virus that evolved naturally over time, unquote. So despite attempts to preclude the general public from hearing these theories, it does seem that the Strikers were successful, at least somewhat, in getting their message out. This only convinces me that I'm correct in my hypothesis that Peter Duesberg and his theories themselves are astroturfs to counter narratives, perhaps being secretly supported by the AIDS conspirators. Duesberg's hypothesis is that there is no virus that causes AIDS, that the AIDS epidemic is the result of environmental conditions that appear in both gay discos and African river villages. Duesberg entered the limelight right around the same time that the Strikers were trying to sell this video. And I think the fact that Peter Duesberg is a veteran of the special cancer virus research of the 70s, the same program the Strikers allege is the source of AIDS, seems rather telling. Duesberg himself was involved in research around a retrovirus known as Roos sarcoma virus, also known as RSV. And for whatever reason, Duesberg's no virus theory persists to this day. It's pretty much the only alternative theory that is well known outside of the mainstream ones. Truly, only the most dedicated biodefense research warriors have even ever heard of the Strecker Memorandum, but the video does persist, thanks largely to alternative platforms like Rumble or BitChute and WTYL. Despite heavy-handed suppression, the Strecker Memorandum persists because the truth is persuasive. What Strecker says makes sense, and to shut it down on face value is absurd. The fact that the people accused by Strecker of having been AIDS conspirators are the very people who are seen as the authority on AIDS is rather chilling and an obvious conflict of interest. If I'm going to be persuaded Dr. Strecker is completely off base in his allegations, it's probably not going to be done by anyone who's receiving NIH grant money. In some ways, it almost seems like the present may be the moment the Streckers were hoping for back in 88 when they put out the Strecker Memorandum. Audience perhaps, audiences in the 80s perhaps were not ready to entertain notions of a global technocratic conspiracy or depopulation agendas waged through biowarfare against human populations, but such theories are hardly unheard of today. Following the COVID-19 crisis, with its many shared themes and personnel with the AIDS epidemic, many will immediately recognize the potential in the Strecker hypothesis, as it resonates with many similar thoughts currently existing on the origins of COVID-19. So this legacy really does continue on to this day, right up to this very moment. Dr. Alan Cantwell was a famous alternative physician and researcher known for his views uh, outside of the mainstream on the nature of cancer. Cantwell was also a contemporary of the Strecker Group and wrote alternative theories of AIDS and HIV. Cantwell and the Streckers shared their research. He was an associate and really kept the spirit of the Strecker Memorandum alive through his lectures and writings all the way up to his death in 2021. Dr. Alan Cantwell was a mentor to many, including a researcher who goes by the name Nick Petoskey, also known as Nick, my inspiration and collaborator for this series. Nick's efforts to lead group discussions and promulgate this data wherever he can results from the direct influence of the Strecker Group and Dr. Cantwell, his mentor. From the Streckers, to Dr. Cantwell, to Nick, to me, and now to you. This truth now lives with us, and it's really up to us to keep it alive and give it oxygen and to follow it wherever it leads. In 
the show notes, I've got links to the 1986 bio-attack alert document, as well as the Strecker Memorandum video and press release. There's also the articles and content cited during this program, and I encourage you to check those out and definitely share them. You can follow the program via our producer's corporate handle at djpoolhouse on x.com, and I definitely want to thank Nick for his tireless efforts in keeping this story alive and for being the source of inspiration for this series. Nick, thanks for sharing your knowledge and your wisdom. You can follow Nick at Pizza Pickles Per on X.com and definitely check out his Zotero library. It's full of incredible primary source material like the kinds that are sourced in the Strecker Memorandum. Thanks again for listening to Backlash The Unsilencing, a production of Backlash Worldwide Incorporated. Until next time, this is Poolhouse. Thanks for listening. <laughs>